From the city of 100 Hellos, Brooks, Alberta, Canada, this is the Global Village Podcast with Ahmed Kasim. Hello, this is John Petrie filling in for Ahmed Kasim on the Global Village Program. And today we have a special guest here, a man who's uh, written a book uh, called My Life as a Refugee. I'm talking to uh, Michael Mirandi. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you very much for the question. Okay, I'm going to uh, start off with, uh, let, let's talk about um, your name first of all here, because on the book here, uh, it, uh, your name says Adu Kapir uh, Mirandi. Did I say that right? So, yeah, <laughs> the name is Odu uh, Pere Amaridi. That's, uh, it's a tribal name. That's uh, uh, a man from uh, South Sudan. Uh, we all have uh, individual uh, tribal names. So that's uh, presenting my name. Uh, Odu is uh, basically, is uh, the definition is that uh, Odu is like a, uh, buffalo. Pere uh, is uh, uh, like a, a horn. And uh, Maridi is to stay calm. So what it means is like uh, when the, in the old days when the buffaloes, they come because they roam around. And when they come in the village, there will be uh, a whistle, sort of a whistle, and it will be blown. So uh, the pitch will indicate that uh, there, is, uh, there is danger in the neighborhood and everybody comes with their own uh, spears or uh, anything to protect the village. So that's when uh, my uh, my great grandfather was uh, one of the the village heroes, and he was actually one of the persons who always be will be there ahead of everybody. So that's ne- that name comes from him. Do uh, now would your brothers and sisters have the same last name? Like in uh, uh, Canada here, like uh, my brothers and sisters, all their last names are Petrie until they get married. Would uh, your brothers and sisters have the same name, or would they have different names? Back home, we have four names mostly. Uh, you carry the name of your great grandfather, uh, your grandfather, your father, and your name. So it really depends, and mostly. Uh, we don't follow the same system that works in Canada here, and that's why sometimes uh, newcomers to Canada uh, have difficulty uh, picking the last name and the family name and the first name. But the first name is usually like myself, my name, first name, Michael, and then the last name uh, is, uh, according to our Canadian system, should be Habib. Oh, okay. But uh, it's in my... uh, IDs and it's in my driver's license but when I write I use pen name so that's why you see the book on the book uh, the okay. name of the book yeah okay tell us about your background where you're originally from and where you were born uh, I was born in uh, uh, Uganda uh, the, a city in northern Uganda called Gulu uh, my parents left South Sudan uh, in uh, I believe between 19 19- uh, 60, uh, probably late 50s, uh, there was a time, there was a civil war in the country, and our civil war started right after the uh, the South, uh, the Sudanese uh, gained their independence from the British and the Egyptians, and then uh, just the first year, even before the year, like 1955, uh, was the year when the first 
civil war started in South Sudan in 1956. Uh, the uh, independence of Sudan came, and the British, they left. But then after that, the trouble of South Sudan, I mean Sudan, started uh, from the 1955, and it carried on. Uh, today, the war is still going on in the country. I was, um, you were talking about uh, dates there and in your book. You don't really know what year you were born. Uh, yes, and that's, uh, you, when you see a lot of South Sudanese people, you see the January 1st uh, yep. of every, whatever year it is, you'll be January 1st, 19-something, or January 1st, uh, 70s and 80s. Majority is uh, starting from 70s, 60s, and 50s, but the mo uh, more... Uh, like uh, in 1980s, more people were settled. People know their birth dates. But uh, earlier than that, it was, uh, you know, like you were just born. And some of the times you're not even born in the hospital. You're born in the, under a tree or something. And, uh, you know, your mother is not uh, well educated to uh, keep the dates. So that's why uh, when we came back from, South, uh, from Uganda to South Sudan, in uh, my parents came in 1978, around there. And uh, I had to, after three years, I think it was 1981, I had to go to school. And the government they, at, uh, of the time, they do uh, what they call assessment of age. And they will just, you know, look at your height and uh, your feature, facial feature. And they say, that's the date you're your date is the January 1st, so most of our dates are like January 1st. Yeah, there's a lot of um, new Canadians in Brooks that have a bir their birthday on January 1st. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the and, reason, yeah. And a lot of time mm -hmm. I go in an office, uh, if I go in uh, like New Year time, uh, people say, you know, happy birthday. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be like, really? Oh, okay. So I have to remind myself that uh, it was January 1st, uh, my birthday on my ID card. But... Uh, yeah, so that's just uh, to summarize the events of those years is that uh, the government gives you that birthday. Tell me about, um, what's your first uh, recollection of um, the uh, strife that went on in Sudan there? Like, how old were you? Uh, how, how, as a child, how did you know something was going on? Uh, I wasn't even born when the war started. Uh, the Anyanya War, uh, 19... Uh, uh, 1955, uh, so I was born in uh, early 70s, and all I knew was that uh, uh, my parents uh, probably didn't even tell me much about it, but we knew that uh, uh, we lived uh, in a different place, uh, different region, different tribes area, and so we, uh, we grew up learning different dialects from other tribes so we kind of got used to that and then uh, in uh, 78 we came to our hometown which is uh, Nimule uh, area and that's in equatorial region of South Sudan and then when uh, we came there we start to notice that uh, some of the languages we, we were born at don't exist there now we are speaking our own language which is a Madi language and uh, from there, uh, I, I noticed that, okay, there was war. But I never knew that there was war uh, until I got to South Sudan. 
Okay, then describe what, what was happening in South Sudan at the time. Because you talk about 78, I would assume you would have been maybe about 18 then, 14 years no, old? No, I was like seven. Oh, seven? seven oh, okay, you were both, okay, yeah, yeah, no, thank you, yeah, yeah, seven, yeah, yeah. What do you uh, recollect about what was going on there then? Um, there was a lot of changes uh, in Uganda, uh, you know, they had a lot more uh, development at that time. Uh, uh, the, f- the first thing I noticed as a child is that uh, food was very scarce in South Sudan. Uh, in Uganda, we, we used to eat like three times a day. And when we got to South Sudan, uh, food was very scarce. We eat, uh, if you eat two times a day, then that's a good day. But there was nothing. And uh, until we settled, uh, things started to change because of uh, the hard work people put in, they cultivated, and uh, or within three years, then everything was a little bit, uh, you know, settled. Uh, the other thing is the school. Uh, in Uganda, schools were like around the, uh, your uh, neighborhoods, but in South Sudan, the school is like far from uh, your house. You have to travel. You get up in the, like, probably six or five in the morning, and you go to walk like four or five miles to get to your school. So that was different. Um, uh, no hospitals at that time. There was uh, basically uh, no hospitals. So you just when you get sick, they have to take you like probably a day's walk to, to get to the nearest clinic. Um, there, there was no uh, clean water uh, at that, uh, that moment. To this day, uh, the situation still persists. Uh, the water is like uh, uh, you get the water from the streams. Uh, there's no running water. Um, so, yeah, life was totally different uh, from being in Uganda to come to South Sudan. It was just completely different. But there was a period in time you talked about uh, where uh, you're, it was quite peaceful or content. Uh, tell me about that period then, and I think it got you yeah. got into more trouble again after that. Not you, but uh, yeah. uh, uh, with what was happening in Sudan. But you, there, there was a period of time, and you talk about that. And you often reflect about maybe going back to that time period there. So d- d- tell me about that time period. And I think it was yeah. was it about ten years or something like that? I think you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, the agreement between the north and the south was signed in 1972. Uh, that time, uh, the move, the rebel movement in South Sudan, they came to uh, agreement with the government in the north in Khartoum, and then they uh, signed an agreement in 1972. Uh, after that, the government uh, allowed everybody to come back home. Uh, they forgave all the rebels and all those who committed uh, uh, broke the laws. They forgave them, and so they all everybody came home. So from 1972 to 1982, that was a peaceful era uh, ever in my life uh, to have like no running around or dodging bullets or anything. We were, you know, like back in like as, as if like everything is all normal. Uh, the, the villages were all being uh, rebuilt, um, uh, normal activities, uh, the children were going to school. Um, the development was going on. We had a lot of uh, uh, international organizations. They came over and, uh, you know, building 
schools and roads, constructions and um, agricultural pro uh, productions were going on. Uh, the cattle industry was booming. Um, yeah, it was it was so good during that ten years time, and then in 1983, uh, because what happened is uh, the agreement was signed uh, between the government and the rebels, and then they 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 started managing everything for the beginning, but then uh, things changed. A new uh, regime came in Khartoum, and they just squashed everything, and they took the agreement and threw it in in a dumpster and uh, from there they went back to what excuse me what the south sudanese were afraid of um it was a process of domination um forced uh religious conversion um uh, the the languages uh, you know you cannot even uh speak your dialect because they just don't want you to speak anything other than the dialect uh, the language they chose so and then the South Sudanese said, uh, yeah, we we cannot, according to the agreement, we're supposed to have an autonomous government. We can't, uh, uh, if this is not working, then we have to break away or we fight to get our freedom, independence, which was actually the original uh, plan when in 1955, when the first time the, the government uh, made us rule that they won't control everybody in South Sudan and the South Sudanese politicians decided that uh, we want to become a federal system. In that way, we take care of our affairs and each uh, federal uh, region takes care of their system. So that time, um, prior to that time, there, was, uh, South, uh, there wasn't like South Sudan, but it was like Sudan and Equatoria, the main region. But the British, uh, because first time the British wanted to uh, combine Equatoria to East Africa, but then later on uh, the Egyptians, they said no, uh, just put them as Sudan. So and then later on uh, it became Sudan and South Sudan, North Sudan and South Sudan. And today it's the same thing that South Sudan is uh, a, a different country. Now, um, as a refugee, um, uh, when did you become a refugee? And then just maybe give give us your path from being a young refugee to how you got to Canada. Um, I was born in refuge. Uh, like my parents went as refugees, yeah. so I was born in refuge in in the, in the early seventies. So we came back in uh, like I said uh, seventy nine or seventy seventy eight or seventy nine as returnees. So that period from uh, seventy eight to eighty three. Uh, that was like uh, there was no fighting, and then in 1983, uh, the second uh, rebellion started, uh, SPLA, and then uh, it was carried on. But uh, I didn't leave uh, Sudan uh, till 1995 uh, because uh, I carried on in South Sudan, and then I went to Khartoum, and I lived there for uh, most of that time. And then 1995, I found uh, I couldn't resist or I couldn't stand uh, watching things happening. And and even uh, life was unbearable for me. So I decided to leave. For 1995 was my first year of becoming a, a second-time refugee. 
Okay, where did you I, go then? And then from I went from Khartoum, uh, we went through uh, the border country, uh, the border country uh, towns. We went across to Ethiopia, and uh, I stayed in Ethiopia till like uh, I think ninety uh, ninety seven, ninety eight. Uh, that's when I. I was in the refugee camp for some time, and then uh, the the Canadian uh, consulate came over to the refugee camp, and uh, they, you know, basically just offered uh, for uh, those who are willing to resettle to Canada. And there was other countries as well, like Sweden. There was Australia. There was uh, U.S. So uh, I chose Canada. I didn't know why, but I chose Canada. At that I time. was going to ask you: did, yeah. did you know much about Canada beforehand? Not really. I didn't know much. Uh, I mean, you would have known it. I think everybody would have known about the United States and a lot of yeah, people, yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of people knew about U.S. because there was a, there was a lot of uh, Sudanese uh, in U.S. But uh, there was a small library in uh, the the U.S. and uh, the U.N. Uh, office, and they allow people to go and read. So all I pretty much know there is that Canada is uh, snow, uh, igloo, and that's all I heard about <laughs> is that, you know, it's all snow. And uh, I didn't expect, uh, you know, that a lot of snow or even a little bit of snow or something like that. So I just thought it was something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you, um, your English is very good. Where did you learn English? Uh, thank you first uh, to acknowledge that. Uh, so in the book, I have uh, spoken, uh, I've written about uh, how um, the the system uh, at that time uh, give us uh, ways to practice our English. And uh, what it is is that uh, in schools, uh, it's probably similar to those who also learn Arabic. Uh, in schools, when you get there, uh, mostly boarding schools, you are allowed to only speak English. Mm-hmm. If you're an English partner, if you're in Arabic, you're only allowed to speak Arabic. So that uh, you know, we didn't know in the future that was going to be of help, but uh, that's how we learn. Is like uh, we, we were forced to to speak English in the school, and there was a debate that goes on every uh, I think it was every Friday uh, interclass debate. So you have to like always speak. Uh, Good English, which is not really <laughs> the, the British English, but it's like a, our local English. You have to like know your grammar, you have to uh, know your punctuations, you have to know your sentence, uh, where you put the period. You have to like, um, if you speak, you have to be eloquent. Uh, and then the other thing is like uh, during uh, the school hours, we were uh, like if. Because they, 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 the school administration, they want everybody to speak English good. So they introduce something like uh, uh, a ring or a placard that you wear with a, you know, like a chain or something on your neck. And it shows there, it says, help me to speak English. And if you don't, if you speak any language other than English, that thing will be passed on to you. And you have to hang it on your neck, and you walk around, and everybody will look at, oh, he cannot speak English, or she cannot speak English. So everybody will be laughing at you, like a, you know, like a bugging you or something like that. So we have to strive. Um, uh, the one thing that I uh, 
I was good at is uh, studying dictionary. I uh, <laughs> that's actually that was one of the the best book I had. Uh, a, a friend of mine is he, actually a Norwegian, I believe he's. But uh, he, in the book, I talked about him. Um, he uh, he gave me some books to read, and one of the books uh, he gave me was a dictionary. So I I I knew a lot of dictionary words that time. Now I forgot a lot of them, but uh, yeah, I studied uh, just like wanted to know. Okay, you get into Canada. Uh, where did you uh, end up first in Canada when you got to Canada? Um, I ended in Edmonton. Uh, we came through. Yeah, were you here in the wintertime in Edmonton or the summertime? Actually, yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I joke that's, about that because <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, one of the the biggest challenge. Uh, I always uh, uh, joke about is like. Uh, when you want to bring an African to or invite an African to Canada, don't invite them uh, between the month of uh, September to April. Yeah. At least uh, invite them from uh, April to June or July, and then that's uh, the best time. But uh, mine was uh, a big shock uh, when uh, I came to Canada in 1998, December the 2nd. I arrived in uh, uh, Toronto, uh, from Toronto. Uh, uh, we were actually like 18 people on the, on the same flight, the refugees, but I was the only one picked to come to uh, Edmonton. So uh, arriving in Edmonton, um, it was like minus 28 or something. Ooh. Yeah, and the snow was about two, three feet on the ground. So uh, it was uh, a huge um change of uh i don't know later i say change of life but it, it completely transformed me uh, to this day i can still uh, feel the that transformation uh gave me uh maybe it was good that i came that time because if i came in summer and then i'll be like oh you know i didn't know that canada was like that or stuff but uh arriving at that time actually encouraged me to uh because after i arrived in edmonton uh two uh two months later i had to go and uh, look for work so i had to take bus uh to go and find jobs and actually go to to the workplaces so so that uh coming that time was okay uh for that time but uh, later on um i found like uh maybe if i maybe come like in the summertime i wouldn't have got used to it so quick Mm -hmm. so that was. Uh, what, what was your first job, or who did um, did you get help finding a job? There was there was help. Uh, they have uh, career development uh, courses, and uh, also uh, uh, they had. Uh, um, you can uh, take courses if you like. Needed English course courses, or uh, even a little bit of orientation. Um, it's. Uh, something called orientation uh, program. In that program, they actually explain to you uh, the work environment, uh, work experience, which was uh, one of the biggest challenges in finding a job. Uh, when you go to every employer, they'll ask you if you have a Canadian experience. And uh, coming to Canada in like three months, you know, I can't have Canadian no, experience. No. So I had to like uh, challenge one of the employer, my first employer, 
Uh, I work for uh, automotive part distributors uh, in Edmonton. It's called APD. And uh, after attending like about maybe 20 interviews and the same thing, every time you go, it's like you don't have Canadian experience, right? So that last time, the guy is like, you know, uh, the, the the manager is like, uh, you know, you, you we had a good interview and it's impressive, but you don't have Canadian experience. Yeah, you know what? We run into that same issue here in Canada with a lot of our young people. You know, I have sons and, it. Uh, you know, if you have kids, a lot of times, you know, they get an education, they're doing what they're doing, but nobody will hire them because they have no experience. But not yeah. that it sort of relates to what you went through, but yeah. we, we do have that issue not only with everybody too. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes employers do not want to give anybody a chance. And I think uh, in order for succession or to develop a workforce, that's what they're going to have to do. You know, yeah, whether you're an immigrant or a young person in this country here too. But yeah. you know, I'm just deviating a little bit, but no. about what you go through, a lot of other people go through there too. So, so anyway, what, what was your first job? Uh, uh, my first job was in the warehouse mm-hmm. uh, because uh, during that uh, uh, two months period of uh, uh, training uh, from, I think it was uh, uh, the, the immigration uh, Canada made the program, they, uh, they tr- or in Edmonton, I believe, the career development. They take you to different uh, places, just like two, three hours. You go and see how work is done. Um, we went to different warehouses and different uh, factories and, uh, you know, different even schools, uh, universities. We actually went to University of Alberta and all that. But uh, the most uh, uh, touching was that uh, we went to this one place, and the guy is like, uh, you want to try this, uh, you know, like a, a forklift? And I got on there, and I drove it so good. And the guy is like, mm. I want to hire you now. Yeah. But I was still on the training. Yeah. And then when I came back the next two weeks, and they said, oh, we already found, we, fought, we filled that position. So I had to go to a different place to to uh, find a job and uh, in that job the employer uh, told me uh, yeah you did a good we did good you did good interview but you don't have Canadian experience so I had to like say you know um, I've had that almost all of the interviews I went for and uh, I don't know if that's a good way because uh, you guys should give peop- new people a chance and I said uh, uh, how do you expect me to get experience if nobody gives me a job? Exactly, yeah. And then he almost like uh, he just looked down and he felt bad and he's like, Michael, I'm going to give you three months to do this. If you qualified, I'll keep you. If not, I'll let you go. So that's how he, uh, you know, he just gave me the chance. And in the next three months, he didn't even only keep me, but he gave me raise. So that was how I started my first job. So how did you end up in Brooks? Um, so I worked in Edmonton from uh, uh, 1999 to 2000 and uh, actually 2000, uh, yeah, 2001, towards the end, uh, beginning of 2001. Uh, I had a f- couple of friends. Uh, I spoke to them, and uh, the guy is like, you know, in Brooks, uh, there is a company that uh, um, accepts uh, everybody. And you can go there and get a job like that. I was like, oh, okay, that's good. And also the pay was good, reasonable. Um, uh, It's a small place, so it's not 
traveling is not a big thing. So uh, when uh, before I came, I, I I gave my resume to him, and then he brought it over. Uh, his name is Nelson Nelson Bungie. He's actually right now working for Canadian Food Inspection in Brooks here. So he he brought my resume and uh, handed it. Uh, at that time, it's called uh, Iowa Beef Packers IBP. Yeah. And uh, within a week, they called me, and I came over for interview. And uh, they said you got the job. Uh, my job was uh, the first job I I got in was uh, quality control. So uh, the next thing was uh, finding a place to live. There wasn't much uh, places to rent, so it was uh, the company had a small trailer park out there that uh, they were giving for you know like two three weeks, uh, and then you find place to move. So that's where I started, and I came. I lived with my friends for a week, and then I went and lived in the in the, in the the trailer for about almost two months, and then I found a place in town. So the transition took a little longer, but uh, yeah, it was good. Did you know um, a number of people then in the community? Then when you came here, you said you had some friends here. Ah uh, yes, as we had uh, uh, quite a bit of number of South Sudanese groups yep. in uh, in Brooks at that time. Actually, there was the biggest uh, immigrant community in town, uh, so you know it wasn't uh, that bad. Uh, you know, we, we were able to cope. You know, uh, sharing things. And that, that must help with the loneliness, though. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. It, it help a lot. Yes. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, um, as a refugee and. Um, uh, I think this took me a long time to sort of understand. I think a lot of Canadians don't understand uh, um, you know, um, uh, what a refugee is. In a lot of cases, uh, I mean, you're displaced out of the country that you are and you go somewhere, which is a little bit different than, let's say, um, uh, somebody who applies for immigrant status and wants to come here. Uh, do you think Canadians sort of understand the difference or is there a big difference? Um, I think at this time, uh, there's a lot more information like uh, on the on internet on uh, different angles, uh, but in uh, those days it was a little hard for people to understand how things were. You know why people were coming uh, here. Uh, it was you know like a new thing for a lot of people. Um, yeah, uh, we in my situation, uh, I had to leave the country because of the political issues. Yep. So I wasn't like, there was no war. The war is in the South. It wasn't in Khartoum. But the life uh, was very difficult uh, for us there as South Sudanese. Uh, so uh, also uh, getting involved in trying to resolve the problem uh, got me in, in each problem with the security. So I had to leave uh, in disguise. So I left the country uh, just to to be safe on that side. Um, after that, uh, I was in refugee camp, and in uh, refugee camp there, it's mostly also again uh, uh, Sudanese people were in there. So it was not bad, like the security-wise, it's okay. And then uh, when I got the uh, resettlement program for Canada. Uh, that's uh, when everything, you know, changed, and now, uh, uh, you know, the issue of uh, being minority 
uh, is the first time I find out in my life. Uh, <laughs> never thought about that. Yeah, never, that's, uh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> never thought I was minority. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how that. So, so what, what challenge? Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, sort of two different versions of it. Um, uh, you know, um, how did Canada help you? And for uh, maybe if you're talking to government officials, what more could Canada do to help um, refugees? Uh, uh, you know, come come to this land or even ad, uh, uh, adapt uh, to where we are now. What well, you know, if you could talk to the prime minister, what would you tell him or the immigration minister? Uh, I I think uh, Canada is doing good so far, uh, even though they could do more. But uh, at this stage, uh, I believe uh, uh, the government needs to uh, like uh, help uh, refugees and immigrants to adapt. Uh, the process of adapting is a, is a very very difficult one uh, because when you come here, uh, everything is different. Uh, like the food, the environment. I mean, like the weather. Yeah. Um, getting a job, um, the language, the barrier, culture. Uh, those are all uh, part of it. Uh, once you get here, if you don't have anyone to guide you, it just uh, it's confusing, become very difficult, and sometimes people lose sight and they go in the wrong direction. But uh, in my situation, I was lucky to have found uh, people who guided me, and uh, sometimes I may uh, say, oh, uh, I suffered, but that's part of life. It's a little bit of suffering is okay. Uh, I met with uh, people who uh, inst- uh, helped me out, uh, talk to me about uh, the challenges I might have. Uh, it's it, it's not mostly racial. i got to be honest with you guys. Like It's not a racial issue. It's just they're being new to a, a nation. And I believe that's happening to most places where you go. Uh, so that's where uh, the government needs to invest in uh, just developing uh, the newcomers so they catch up uh, you know, with the, the mainstream. Uh, just to show them that uh, in, uh, orientation is the first thing. You've got to orientate people how the culture in here and what is happening uh, in, 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 in society and what to expect. So those, those are areas where I think the government can improve. Um, also, on the international level, the government can also try to uh, intervene in... Uh, trying to resolve the problems happening in the countries, in respective countries. Uh, I think the worst uh, immigration process is a refugee uh, leaving his country or her country, moving to another country, because refugees are not prepared to move to new places. They are basically forced. But uh, there is difference between refugees and and, and, immigrants. um, immigrants and asylum seekers. Uh, most immigrants, uh, some ig- immigrants, they move uh, just like uh, on their own, right. like, uh, willingly. They just want to go and improve their education. They want to go and improve their careers or start new business. So they kind of have already perceived their where, when they get there, and they come with some you know investments in their pocket and stuff. But for a refugee. You know, I gave the story there, like uh, the story of uh, uh, Joseph and Mary. 
uh, when uh, you know it's, it's a biblical. Yeah. But uh, how they they were woke up in the middle of the night. He says, "Get up and run. Uh, if you don't run, the the king is gonna kill your child tonight." So that's exactly what it is for for refugees. You just get up and run. You leave everything, everything that your fathers, your grandfathers, aunt, your ancestors worked hard to build over the years. You leave them and you just save your life and get out of the situation. I was asking you about the uh, federal government and uh, what mm-hmm. they were doing. Uh, how did Brooks do? Uh, the good thing about Brooks is Brooks is small. Yeah. Um, it was easy to move around. Uh, the only challenge was that uh, there was not uh, enough res- uh, places for people to live. Yeah. Uh, so the new people who came here, uh, they had hard time in uh, finding places to live. Um, of course, the culture barrier is there. Uh, you know, uh, we we come from a different countries, or we come from different countries uh, to a new place. So obviously, the uh, citizens uh, in the, in the locals they will be like, uh, uh, where are these people coming from? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like strange uh, the looks and the the, the, the accent and the, the way they do things. Uh, immigrants uh, sometimes have less regard for driving uh, on the roads and <laughs> drive on the wrong side of the road and people get really mad and <laughs> so those are also irritating uh, yeah some of uh, the, the little challenges are like you know uh, communication uh, you know so somebody is speaking to the next one and they'll be like what did you say and stuff like that so you, you know you have to repeat yourself three, th- three times or something uh, those those are there, um, but I think uh, today uh, the uh, our kids that are born uh, in this country, they probably will have advantage over us, the first time immigrants. Uh, they probably uh, don't have too much issues with the, the accent, uh, just like my kids always tease me that that's not how you say it. It's okay. It's not going to change. You just get used to it. So yeah. <laughs> that's what I told my kids. Yeah, I was going to ask, okay, now, what are you yeah. doing? You're, you're married with two kids? Yes. Two, uh, okay, you're mar- uh, what are you doing now? I'm uh, working at uh, JBS as of the moment. I mean, uh, I'm a plumber by trade, mm-hmm. uh, but I also take courses in uh, different programs. I uh, started uh, doing uh, power engineering. So uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a progress. So um, how old are your kids? My kids are 13 and 11. Oh, okay, were they born in Canada? My daughter was born overseas. Yeah. Uh, she was born actually in South Africa. And then uh, my son was born here in Brooks. Okay, uh, you tell an interesting story, and I have to relate this one. It's about uh, the first time you took your family to Montana. And uh, uh, there's a perception. I, probably Canadians don't have this perception, but worldwide, because of the uh, uh, because of your uh, your background and because of the color of your skin, you know, we hear in the news about blacks getting shot. And uh, as you cross the border, you talked about your kids being afraid to cross the border because of yeah. the col- color of their skin. Yeah, um, actually, part of the uh, the motive for writing the story in the book is. Uh, uh, my daughter one time asked me uh, that uh, you know, like kids when they ask, they look in your eyes and they wanted to, they want to ex- uh, to get a straight answer. So she's like, uh, "Daddy, uh, I heard from my friends that uh, in the United States they're killing black people," and I was shocked a little bit. But I said, like, "Okay," because you know it's on the news. Um, 
So I had to uh, speak to her one to one, and uh, after I spoke to her, I wasn't sure if I really uh, convinced her. So I said, okay, maybe the best way is to drive across the border, uh, which is not far from here, just two hours. So yeah. I said, let's go, let's see how it is. But uh, after we uh, got to the Kuts uh, yep. crossing border here, and uh, uh, because you know we have our documents, our passports are all good, and uh, the entry was so simple. You just like you know crossing from uh, one, I guess uh, one, like in the air, air, uh, airports and stuff. You just hand your document and they look at it, and it wasn't there was no interrogation based on your color or where you were from or who you are. They just look at our passport and they let us go. But before we get to there, uh, we, I was telling them, I say, you see, this is Canadian soil from here back, and then from there on is American. And my daughter was so shaking, like she was just like, I don't want to go there. They yeah. will kill us. <laughs> I said, No, don't worry. And then we crossed over, and uh, once uh, the, 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 the border guards, you know, they were just normal, kind, and you know, there's nothing really serious. And then uh, she was, like, a little calm. So we went to the first, uh, now we're in Montana, the first uh, gas station. And then we went to the store. First, she didn't want to come out of the vehicle. I said, let's go. You know, we fill up gas, and then we went in the store and got some few stuff, and then we came back, and that's when she went. <sighs> like she did, yeah. you know, she she sighed, and I said, "Oh, I didn't think it was like this." He said, "I said, yeah, it's not like that." I said, "You see, the the cops' vehicles are tra- driving here around. Like, they don't just stop you uh, if there's uh, no problem." So that was how uh, she uh, she changed her mind. She's like, "Okay, I'm gonna take a lot of pictures, and I'm gonna tell my friends all the good things here in the United States." And then uh, my friend, uh, not my friend, my son was uh, like, uh, I, uh, Daddy says, I want to meet Donald Trump. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so I had to tell him, no, we're not here to see Donald Trump. We're here to go and have fun in in the Alpines. It's a very nice place to go for vacation. Okay, uh, we'll just kind of wrap it up here, too. Uh, you got your book. Um, um, it's a fascinating read. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. you did a, a good job. It's 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 a big book there, eh? It is, yeah. uh, now, if um, somebody wants to uh, get the book, how do they go about uh, getting it? Um, at this point, I uh, don't have a lot in my hand. Uh, they can go on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just type the title, "My Life as a Refugee." Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. But uh, it's a new book, so what uh, I'm trying to get is uh, get a website and also order a copy that I sell it to the people around here, myself. Uh, that way, um, the part that I really uh, think is good is that uh, the proceeds that come from the book uh, is going to go to Alberta uh, Hospital, uh, the oh, Sick Children nice. Hospital, because uh, I've been uh, a sick child for most of my life so uh you know i kind of think like children should you know have a good life and have no sickness in their life and that gives them also a better life in the future you have a very interesting story thanks for joining us in global village today and uh, good luck in selling a lot of the books and good luck uh, taking your power engineering course there too thank you very yeah. much john petrie yeah. and thank you ahmad kasim I'm really honored to be uh, interviewed here, and uh, hopefully uh, this won't be the first and the last time. 
No, uh, we'll call you back when you have so much uh, interesting stories to tell. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Michael Marindi, whose book is My Life as a Refugee. This has been the Global Village Podcast. I'm John Petrie.